Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. God's promises to us are certain. They are not the words of man, but of God, who cannot lie. Though the promises may be delayed or seem contradicted by present circumstances, have faith that they are absolutely certain and will come to pass. We will come before you, Lord, in wonder, wonder. We will fall on our knees and surrender. part one of Cheryl's message titled, Introduction to Joshua. So maybe you've noticed that I have a tendency to go off on tangents. So at the very get-go, I want to tell you the main message of this Bible study, (laughs) just in case. And I, I want you to have this at the forefront so that everything else that is said is all filtered through this lens, everything. So this is what I want to say. Though the promise is delayed or contradicted by present circumstances, it is still certain and will come to pass. I've told you this story before, but I I have a special scripture that I pray over each one of my children. And this happens to be the scripture the Lord gave me for my oldest child. Um, My youngest child, I think he's really blessed because the Lord gave me um, 1 Corinthians 2, 9, eye is not seen, ear is not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God had prepared for him. My oldest son is, um, he will surround uh, the righteous with favor is with a shield. Um, my daughter Kelsey is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. But for my oldest, it was Jeremiah 29, 11. And I know it's a common promise for I know the plans that I have for you says the Lord plans for good and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. And I would pray this over her and I would put it Every card I sent her, every email, every text, I used to include this scripture. This is yours. And I remember she called me one day and she's like, Mom, that scripture, I'm seeing it like literally everywhere. I saw it when I went into the store and it wasn't even a Christian store, Mom. And they had it like painted on a rock, you know, and she was telling me another place she went and all these ways that she started seeing um, the scripture. And I said, honey, that's because it's yours. It's yours. It's yours. You know, take possession of it. And then she calls me. She goes, mom, it's not mine. I'm like, what? She goes, I went to a Bible study. This other girl said it was her scripture. I'm like, no, honey. We could claim all the scriptures. God means it for you in a different way than he means it for her. Same scripture, but the application is in a different place, in a different way. And I think sometimes 
What happens is we don't take possession of the scriptures because we don't possess them. We don't claim them as our own or because there's a delay or circumstances seem to contradict them. But they are certain. They are absolutely certain. Now, when I was a little girl, five years old, my dad accepted an invitation to Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. And he was one of about 10 to 15 pastors that campaigned to be the pastor of this church. Many people say, Chuck Smith established the Calvary ministry. No, he didn't. He was invited to an already established church called Calvary Chapel that happened to meet on Church Street and Walnut in Costa Mesa. Already had a building. That was like a big deal. And he was asked to come. And I'll just fill you in on a little bit extra. Um, There was a man in the church who was part of the board, and he would receive words from the Lord that God would speak into him. And so as they were praying as a church over who was supposed to be their pastor, he had a word. And he said, well, no, the man is supposed to be a pastor because he'll want to redesign our stage. I said, okay. So all these different men came in and spoke. They were great speakers. They had a great message. And then my dad comes. He's got a great message. They really like him. Who wouldn't like my dad? Seriously, I adored the man and still do. Because now he's got hair. He's like so good looking. (laughs) And he's in the presence of Jesus. But my dad spoke. And they took him out afterwards to Bonanza Steakhouse. And as they're sitting there, my dad grabs a napkin and he pulls his pin out of his pocket because he always kept a pin in his pocket. And he pulls his pin out and he goes, no, I was looking at your stage. And if you just took this wall out and you just did this, you know, here dad is preaching. And as he's preaching, he's thinking about how he could redesign the stage. That is so my father. So my father, you're pouring out your heart to him and going, I noticed that you need new brake pads. Thank you, dad. And as he does it, the board members all look at each other and say, here's our pastor. This is the one that the Lord has anointed. Well, he came back. He was offered Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. He accepted it. We were living in Corona and my dad had um, started a fellowship. We met at a men's club. Um, It was called um, Community Bible Church. And that actually was started by my father. Community, you've all heard of it because it's no longer there. Um, But that was the one he established. And he was on the radio, and I had the best teacher I have ever had in my entire life, Mrs. Saito. She was Hawaiian. She was amazing. Uh, She happened to be the only teacher I'd known up to that time. You know, I was five. It was kindergarten. And she loved me. And my dad came home, and he announced that he wanted to move from Corona, California, to Costa Mesa. And everyone was for it but my mother and me because I was on my mom's side and we didn't want to go. And so my dad decided to coax me into going and he knew the greatest desire of my heart. And he said, Cheryl, if you'll go, I will build you a playhouse. (laughs) Sorry, mom. (laughs) Then it was five to one. I wanted a playhouse more than I wanted to be called Cheryl because they were calling me Sherry. I wanted a playhouse. You know those playhouses that had those kitchens and you could pretend that you were an adult and that you already had kids. You, You could wear an apron in. You could make like 
incredible mud pies. I lived for a playhouse, the whole concept of a playhouse, my own space that was mine. I didn't want a bedroom to myself. I wanted a playhouse. And when we moved, the church couldn't pay my dad enough money, so he had to get another job. And then because he had a family of six, he had to get a job on top of that. So he had no time. Then when I was 10, God began to bless Calvary Chapel exceedingly, and all these people began to come. And the next thing you knew, we had to move out of our facility, rent a facility, and we bought some property down the street on Greenville and Sunflower. And my dad got involved in a building project. And that building was not completed till I was 11. And then that church was too small and we had to start another building project. And they bought 11 acres here, put the Sunday school buildings in and erected a tent. And those buildings out there were the chapel stores. Those are the original buildings and the fellowship hall. In fact, the fellowship hall was going to be the meeting place, but by the time they erected it, it was too small. So we had to go with the tent. And dad was too busy. Now I'm 12 and 13. Who wants a playhouse? I want a pool. (laughs) But dad had promised. Well, I got married to Brian Broderson. We got this call down to Vista. We moved to Vista. We started the church and we took over the church in Vista. You know, it began to grow. I had my first child, Kristen, my son, Char, my daughter, Kelsey, my son, Brayden. And one day, my dad shows up with a borrowed truck full of lumber. And he, you know, right up in my driveway. And I said, Dad, what are you doing? And he looks at me, he said, a promise is a promise is a promise. And I'm like, and that means? He goes, I'm building a playhouse. (laughs) And oh, what a playhouse. Two-story with a balcony. It was not just a playhouse, it was a fortress for my boys. They would jump off of it onto the trampoline and almost die. (laughs) There were battles fought. My girls were always trying to kick the boys out and make it homey. I've got a video of Kelsey bringing in dirt, making mud pies, my dad trying to clean it out. And he's like, Kelsey, this is filthy. It's filthy. And she's like, and all of a sudden she turns to him and she says, Grandpa, I love filth. And you know, it was like, that promise was definitely delayed. And I had no idea of the surety of it. I was sure he had forgotten. I had forgotten. I just thought, good old dad, he means well. And if if he had been able to, he would have. But when the time came, he did. He did. You see, God makes us promises that are sure. And though they are delayed, and though present circumstances contradict, they are certain and they are sure. Let me read you this quote by George Mueller. It's from Streams in the Desert, and it's January 4th. And the reason I tell you all that is because I searched streams in the desert two times through reading every single devotional, somehow missed it. I knew it was in there. And then Brian went through streams in the desert once. He couldn't find it. And I said, Lord, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. I opened the book and boom, there it is. I love how God does that, you know, but here it is. 
You will never learn faith in comfortable surroundings. God gives us the promises in a quiet hour. God seals our covenants with great and gracious words. Then he steps back and waits to see how much we believe. Then he lets the tempter come and the test seems to contradict all that he has spoken. It is then that faith wins its crown. That is the time to look up through the storm and among the trembling, frightened seamen cry, I believe God that it shall be even as it was told to me. Now, Abraham was given a promise. He was promised by God that a nation would come from his loins and that every place that he saw and put his foot would belong to his descendants. And he was given this when he didn't have any descendants. In Genesis 13, 14 through 16, we read, And the Lord said to Abram, Lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I will give it to you. God showed Abraham a glimpse of how this promise would be delayed. In Genesis chapter 15, when God is making this covenant with Abraham, He said to Abram, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will be afflicted for 400 years. Now, as descendants go, Abraham has a son, Ishmael, and God says, that's not the one. Abraham has to wait a few more years. And remember, he's already waited 50 and now he's 99 years old and he has one son. You know, not even triplets or quadruplets, one son. That son, Isaac, has two sons. And you're like, okay, at least we're doubling our odds. And God says, only one of the sons. So now we're back to one. Through this one son, all the descendants, we've already gone through three generations and we're still at one. And from this one son, we're going to have descendants that will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. Jacob had 12 sons. One of Jacob's sons was sold into slavery, but he ended up through adverse circumstances, becoming the prime minister of Egypt and saving Egypt from famine and actually guiding Egypt into prosperity. Jacob's family, because of the peril of famine, had to move to Egypt. And at that time, they were 66 people in number. This number would become a multitude through adverse circumstances, not through prosperity, but through persecution and slavery. Because we're told that after Joseph, a Pharaoh arose who did not know Joseph. And because he was intimidated by the way the Israelites 
were growing in number, he made them slaves and he afflicted them. He oppressed them. And then he ordered, as the pharaohs continued to progress with this emphasis on enslaving Israel, he ordered that all the male babies be slaughtered. It was at this time, into these circumstances, that Moses was born. And his mother, rather than giving him over to the will of the pharaoh, created a little ark made out of bulrushes woven covered in pitch so it was waterproof. And she took this little boy and she put him in this ark and then covered the ark and put it into the Nile River. Well, we know the Pharaoh's daughter came and she was bathing and it could have gone either way. If the Pharaoh was loyal to her father, she would say a Hebrew child, he should be slaughtered. But instead, God moved on this woman's heart. She had compassion on Moses, and she brought Moses into the Pharaoh's house where he was educated in all the ways of Egypt and yet allowed to go back to his real home and be nursed by his mother and told his true heritage. Moses, no doubt, felt the call of God. We're told that in Hebrews, that he esteemed the affliction of Israel greater riches than all the treasures of Egypt. And at this time, he saw an Israelite and an Egyptian fighting, feeling this call, 40 years old, in his prime, still strong. He fought for the Israelite and he killed the Egyptian. The next day, as he's walking He sees two Israelites fighting and he says to them, why are you fighting your brothers? And they looked at him and they said, are you going to kill us like you did the Egyptian? And Moses at that point knew that the fact that he had murdered an Egyptian was known and that the Pharaoh would come after him, which is exactly what happened. And Moses had to flee at 40 years old out to the wilderness and live in obscurity, hiding from Egypt, hiding from the call. 40 years, he lived in the wilderness, taking care of sheep, which was considered an abomination to the Egyptians. This man who had been in the house of Pharaoh, educated, now is taking care of sheep. This would be like getting your law degree from Harvard and becoming a dog catcher in Chino. Not that being a dog catcher in Chino is bad. Just if you, your expectation is a Harvard law degree and you know owning your own firm in New York. And he was working for his father-in-law. They weren't even his sheep. They were his father-in-law's sheep. He didn't even have his own flock of sheep. And there for 40 years, he remained until one day he saw a bush that was burning but not consumed. And he said, I'm going to turn aside and see this great sight. Why the bush burns and is not consumed. And as he drew close to this bush, he heard this bush calling his name. He heard the Lord God from the midst of the fire calling his name, Moses, Moses. And the closer that he got, the clearer the voice became. And he heard, take 
off your sandals, for the ground where you're standing is holy. And it, here comes the call, see? <laughs> and at that time, Moses began to hear the call of God upon his life. And he followed the leading of the Lord. But remember, Moses is 80 years old at this time. And Moses goes before Pharaoh, 10 different plagues to pressure Pharaoh into letting the people of Israel go, water to blood, frogs, lice, flies, all my favorites, pestilent on livestock, boils, locusts, darkness, and finally the Passover, where the children of Israel are told to put the blood of a lamb on the threshold and the posts of their door, and the angel of death will pass over. But those without faith who did not apply the blood, the firstborn of their houses was taken. At this point, Pharaoh says, go, you can leave. I want you out of here. And God takes Moses on a circuitous route, a route that leaves all of the host of Israel between these two mountains with the Red Sea in front of them. Behind them come the Egyptians burying in because Pharaoh changed his mind. And now he decides this is how he's going to get rid of all the Israelites, the threat, the intimidation. Those that are left will be brought back and put to slavery. But God comes down in a cloud and the cloud that was covering them comes between the army of Egypt and the children of Israel. And to the army of Israel, it is confusion and it's a barrier but to the children of light, it is insulation. Children of Israel, it's light and insulation. Moses is told by God to put out his rod, the sea parts, and they cross. Moses takes them across the Red Sea on dry land. Just recently with these hurricanes that we've had, um, one of the hurricanes, uh, Hurricane Irma, actually uh, drove the shore out um, over a mile um, in the Caribbean, in one of the Caribbean islands. And not only did it drive the ocean back, it dried up the ground because of the strength of the wind. And we're told that God sent a wind that was so strong that it not only parted the sea, but it dried the ground. And it's on this dried ground that the children of Israel crossed into the wilderness on their way to the promised land. Moses led them across and led them through the wilderness. There he interceded for God's people. There he gave them God's law. There he gave them the plans for the tabernacle. He gave them God's instructions. And when they came to the precipice or the edge of the promised land, Moses sent 12 men in to spy out the land. They were to say whether the land was good or bad, to give a description of the land and of the people of the land. Now, 12 spies went in. Two spies Joshua and Caleb gave a great report. They said, the land that the Lord is giving us is an exceedingly good land. I mean, it's better than good. Where have you heard that? Exceedingly great, exceedingly good, right? Like the promises of God that are exceedingly great. The land was exceedingly good, beyond good, flowing with milk and honey. 
The produce was amazing. It had brooks of water every place. And they were so excited about the promise of God. But the 10 other spies saw only the obstacles to the promise. There are giants. There are fortified cities. These are well-organized armies. And their unbelief caused the people of Israel to commit mutiny against Moses. Not only were they infected with unbelief, but we're told at that time that they sought to find a new leader to take them back to Egypt. And they wanted to stone those with a good report. What a reaction. George Mueller said, you will never learn faith in comfortable surroundings. We see this with Abraham as he was promised by God that a nation would come from him and that every place he saw and put his foot would belong to his descendants. This promise was given when he had no heir and it remained unfulfilled until he became a father at 99 years old. Though God's promise to Abraham was delayed, it was fulfilled and we still reap the benefits of it today. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll be introduced to Joshua as we continue our Possessing the Promises series in the book of Joshua with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.